This is Professor Raymond Noby, Department of Ancient History, log entry number two. I believe I have made a significant find in the castle of Cantor. Having journeyed there with my wife, Henrietta, my daughter, Annie, and associate professor, Ed Gettler. It was in the rear chamber of the castle. We stumbled upon something remarkable. Once again, yes, the same shit yes every week. But I'll indulge you, you creepy English tart. I'm here for my weekly stash of teddy mags, my favorite taco bar in the whole wide world, Toblerone, and my lotto tickets. Poop on a shingle! I have one! Well, welcome. This is the inaugural episode of Astro Radio Z 2.0, 3.0, 4.0-me. I'm your host, Derek Carey, and I want to thank you for continuing to tune in and listen to Astro Radio Z. This show is going to be a little bit different than the old Astro Radio Z, as Mr. Corey Udler, the originator of this show, has uh, decided to walk away for the time being. He has some great things going on in his life, a uh, new child and that my friends as a father of three is quite an important (laughs) responsibility i unfortunately have no morals and decide to continue on and uh keep uh, neglecting my family through talking to you about all sorts of movie geekdom i respect my co-host and i wish him the best he will be coming back with us every once in a while so don't fret Dear Astro Radio Z fans in Slovenia, we will carry on. Heidi, a radio DJ, is sent a box containing a record, a gift from the Lords. The sounds within the grooves trigger flashbacks of her town's violent past. Is Heidi going mad, or are the lords back to take revenge on Salem, Massachusetts? Come to us! We are ready! This is the synopsis for what I'm sure everybody that is listening to the show knows is Rob Zombie's new film, The Lords of Salem. Now, to say that Rob Zombie is a divisive uh, director working in the genre today is a bit of an understatement. I think you can find most people are either going to be on one side of the fence or the other. He's been a musician for years, and if you're a fan of White Zombie and of his solo work, then obviously you're more than likely going to adore his films because they they hold, for the most part, some of them hold the same aesthetic as uh, the music videos that he used to make for White Zombie and obviously his solo work. Most people kind of push those people aside as uber fans and just don't even worry about them. They're going to suck his dick no matter what happens. But most uh, hardened horror fans usually are pretty critical about Rob Zombie. Um, Me personally, I've always enjoyed his films right from the get-go, regardless of the hype machine that surrounded him right off the bat. Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, such a tumultuous story of how that came into being and what happened, how that was shelled for years, and then came out in a bastardized version. And then we find out later 
Uh, regardless of the fact that a lot of the footage is lost in between the MGM, uh, you know, dishing of that of that movie, um, that it almost essentially is a director's cut. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people seem to not like that movie very much, and then uh, go on to his next movie, The Devil's Rejects, and love it to death. Personally, myself, I've never been a huge fan of The Devil's Rejects, as uh, it is kind of like to me is like three quarters of a movie and then uh one quarter of something that just feels really dishonest uh does that mean i think it's a pile of shit no absolutely not um it's a beautiful looking trashy movie it it's slimy and sleazy in all the right ways and it doesn't hold back and it has a an intensity to it which house of a thousand corpses had but house of a thousand corpses also kind of harkens back to that texas chainsaw massacre kind of intensity but if you threw in Funhouse into the mix, you kind of get an idea of where that movie came from and where it went. It also had so many references to the music videos that he used to make with White Zombie, um, just visually popping and all over the place aesthetically. Um, you never knew what it was. It was in multiple formats, film, uh, you know, camcorder footage animation blah 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 where then the devil's rejects which was a continuation of the same story essentially was done in much more of a trashy 70s exploitation manner real bare bones and people doing nasty things to each other and shot very plainly um it was really for three quarters of the film i thought it was really well done and then it kind of fell off and i remember walking out of the movie theater after seeing that film feeling a little disappointed i mean the ending i i have to say there are a few films out there that have an ending that makes me almost reconsider what my original thoughts on the film are and devil's rejects certainly is one and another one is uh dario argento's opera where I'm a, let's just put this out there, I'm a tremendously huge Dario Argento fan. Uh, I've seen everything he's done, minus Five Days in Milan. I still haven't gotten my hands on that yet. Uh, I've always wanted to, but uh, being a big, huge spaghetti Western fan, I just have always wanted to check out, you know, what he's done with it, because obviously he was a co-writer on Once Upon a Time in the West. So why not? Let's go for it. Um, but yeah, the, the, the ending to Dario Argento's opera is just, it's a Massengill commercial tossed on to the ending of a nasty, stylish giallo. <laughs> to me, it's one of his best films. And uh, it just... It's too sad. And it's the same feeling I have for The Devil's Rejects is that it just, you know, it was this movie that, that had such intensity and it just kind of like turned these slimeball asshole degenerates into almost anti-heroes and I don't think they deserved it. Uh, they deserved a nasty ending <laughs> like everyone they encountered did and that was just my feeling. But uh, then he went on to do that uh, Halloween remake that everyone seems to fucking loathe more than a kick in the nuts. Personally, my views on remakes are they're always completely unnecessary, especially, for, especially with stuff like The Evil Dead, which if you had listened a couple episodes ago, I kind of went off on. I don't like doing that, but, uh, you know, sometimes as an old horror fan, I get my dander up and I got to get my cane out and stomp it on the ground and say, you fucking damn kids, get off my lawn. But you know what? Nah, fuck it. Who cares? 
do you really need my approval to like anything? No. And I don't need anyone else's approval either. But uh, I actually liked his uh, Halloween. Blasphemous, I know. Um, but I don't hold Halloween as something that's, you know, super sacred. It's a slasher movie. It's a beautiful slasher movie. I mean, Dean Cundy's uh, photography and cinematography is just gorgeous and ahead of its time. Uh, and the soundtrack and everything about it is just so minimal, so spare and done right. I mean, Halloween was hoard out to the extent where it became a parody of itself. It wasn't, not that it intentionally made a parody of itself in its movies, but it just was. It was tired and boring, and the only movies I ever liked out of the series were the original and number three, something that everybody hates. Um, but now, all of a sudden, it's hip uh, to love uh, Season of the Witch, which is <laughs> kind of funny to me, but... Uh, yeah, those were the only two that I ever liked. So I would always welcomed somebody wanting to come in and do something interesting with Halloween. And while most people feel that what Zombie did was more of a cliched backstory to Halloween uh, in the first half of the film and then a sped up uh, mashup of the original in the second half, um, I also f kind of felt that it had the same intensity that his other films had, and that was interesting to me, where the original Halloween had this kind of sedateness and almost like a ghostly, otherworldly uh, aspect to it, where it was almost a haunted house film with kind of a dude walking around with a butcher knife. Zombies is much more like a madman that was on the loose, looking to just destroy anything that came in his path. And uh, the backstory, while, yes, cliche, if you look at it from like a serial killer, uh, the traditional serial killer um, origin story perspective, it, I thought it was still really entertaining and interesting. So that never bothered me so much. And then came Halloween 2, um, or H2, for the lameness of this generation's need to condense everything down into uh, alphanumeric uh, gobbledygook. Oh, fuck. Hook. Hooks. 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 Fuck. 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 I went and saw Halloween 2. And Halloween 2, I remember, I was really excited to see it. Because I thought Halloween 1, as I had said, was interesting. And kind of brought something a little fresh to... Uh, an extremely stale series Halloween 2 was literally it felt like the most rushed thing I've ever seen in my life um, I was so excited to go see it I saw it at a midnight screening uh, the day before it came out and uh, I, I I don't think I've ever walked out of a theater that angry in my entire life and I don't usually get really super upset at movies because they're movies. Um, they're entertainment. They're something for us to have fun to and escape a while. You know, uh, why I had such a visceral reaction to that film and why I was so mad, I don't know. I think a lot of it maybe came down to, you know, I've kind of become disenfranchised with the entire theater-going experience in general because I just think, one, as a consumer, we're getting gouged. I think most movies don't need the budget that they have. I think you can do much more creative things on a limited budget, which will lead to the Lords of Salem. But I, th 
I, I just think that the prices for everything now, because everything is so extravagant and actors demand such huge price tags to be in films and the special effects are so out of hand and it just the marketing campaigns are just ridiculous that um, as consumers, we're getting gouged and we're getting tricked into having to pay for 3D and pay for all this other bullshit uh, that we don't need when we should be concentrating filmmakers should be concentrating on making interesting stories and having something to actually say and uh halloween 2 to me felt like you know rob zombie was forced to make a film and he tried to make something that he wanted to make and I, yeah, i'm just this is my opinion and more than likely this may not be the case because i never really read too much up on what ultimately rob zombie had to say um, subsequent to the release of Halloween 2. I know that it had, like, it was written in three weeks and then rushed into production right away. And uh, so it was just one of these films that were just churned out. And it felt that way. It just felt very disjointed and um, just misguided. And I was, uh, at that point, I had almost, I was really disappointed and kind of turned off from Rob Zombie. Um, as a filmmaker, never as a musician. I've always enjoyed his music. I've always thought his music was really well done. And then now comes Lords of Salem, which uh, from the onset attracted me because it was uh, an independent film. He was only given a million dollar budget. And I know by our standards, and when I say our, I mean us micro budget guys, uh, low budget and micro budget guys, a million dollars is we can make so many movies off of that budget. It's ridiculous. But for somebody like Rob Zombie, who obviously is working within the system and has a certain workflow and ha works with people that demand money to be in these films, and uh, he wants to get this out there and needs a marketing campaign and blah, 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 blah. That's a really small budget for the kind of ambition and uh, exposure that a film like Lords of Salem would have. And uh, I was kind of excited to see something that was kind of limited uh, in what he could do effects-wise and the, this and that. And, uh, you know, the, all of the, the preliminary artwork and trailers and whatnot really attracted me to this film. And uh, But then it came out. And because it's a limited release, I live in literally, if if anyone has ever listened to our show, you know that Corey and I live in uh, Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, to say the least, doesn't really have very many metropolitan areas. We have Milwaukee, we have Madison, and we have Green Bay. Um, where I live is near Green Bay. And let's just say the Lords of Salem wasn't coming anywhere near Lambeau Field. <laughs> I think the closest place it came to was Milwaukee. And unfortunately, I don't get to Milwaukee all that much. So, you know, it was tough for me to finally see it. And uh, I finally got the opportunity to see it, regardless of the fact that all of my friends, including Corey, which you had listened to our Evil Dead episode, expressed that he hated it. He let me know right away after he had seen it that he hated it. Um, and I was really disappointed because <laughs> I was looking forward to it. But then our, our dear friend, uh, Greg Johnson, uh, got a hold of me and was like, hey, man, this is like Lynch. And it, it's it's like old demon movies, uh, you know, demon possession things. I think you're going to really like this. And uh, I agree with him uh, to say that the Lords of Salem 
is probably my favorite of his films isn't really that far off. Um, it's, it's a real toss-up because I like elements of <coughs> most of his stuff. Excuse me. But I don't think I generally like an entire movie of his all on its own because I think he's got so much creativity and so many ideas that it, it, it's tough to, to focus that all into a coherent uh, singular piece where I think a lot of his other stuff is kind of mishmashes in, uh, intentionally so. Uh, Lords of Salem, however, feels like a much more singular focused film. It feels much more like the old demon possession films uh, from the 70s and 80s. Real slow burn. I know that that term gets tossed around a lot, but I'm a fan of those kind of films. I love Ty West films. Most people hate them. They think they're the most boring thing they ever fucking watched in their entire lives. Not me. I like The Roost. I like House of the Devil. I loved The Innkeepers. Is Lords of Salem those? No, not necessarily. But if you're a fan of that kind of like a film that, that takes its time, is patient, it builds and it builds and it builds um, to something, then you'll more than likely like Lords of Salem. There's a few things in it that are that are kind of wonky. And I... And I it, it, it's kind of strange, um, and I'm gonna. I won't go into too much of spoilers here, but I'm just gonna warn you: if you don't want to know anything about the film, maybe for the next two minutes, don't listen or just skip past. But uh, like, the the story is essentially about a DJ. When they introduce the DJ and they introduce her show, there's this really low rent, <laughs> to put it put it lightly, like commercial bumper before the show starts, and. Um, it looks intentionally low budget, and uh, compared to the rest of the film, it's it's really wonky, and I don't understand why they needed to do that. If it, if it were me, I more than likely would have just started right into, I would have cut that all together, because it makes it look cheap, um, where the rest of the film is beautiful. It's so beautifully shot. Um it, it, a lot of really gritty, dark... I mean, it's the same kind of look that all of his other films have had. Um, so you, if you like the look of his other films, you're going to love this one. Only there's a much more grandiose feel to the entire thing. Um, there's been a lot of talk about an Argento connection, or Argento and uh, Jodorowsky influence of the film. And uh, personally, I don't really see it um, I understand, you know, there's a lot of um, very bold primary colors that are used throughout, but that's kind of always been zombie shtick. He's always been about deep reds and blues and greens and things like that. Um, so I don't really see that as an Argento connection, but we won't get into, you know, the minutiae of having to go through that tired argument. Um, but the cinematography looks really beautiful in places. I mean, very wide master shots with a lot of symmetry. And, uh, yeah, it's it's really visually striking. All of the actresses and actors, I mean, you gotta love Ken Forey's in it. Um, if you blink, you're gonna miss uh, Michael Berryman and Sid Haig. They're only in it for, like, flashbacks. But D. Wallace... And Meg, Meg Foster, just, I mean, her role, they, they make her do stuff uh, that I think most women her age more than likely wouldn't do. Um, but 
she's a force in this film and it, it's really great seeing like patricia quinn and d wallace uh so awesome and judy gleason uh, geeson uh just everyone the whole cast um nobody goes over the top there's nothing cheeseball about this film it's played straight so i gotta say really thumbs up i enjoyed lords of salem i know it's getting it's getting a lot of really bad reviews now um i don't quite understand why uh, maybe the movie going audience isn't into movies that take their time anymore maybe that's why this film was only a limited release i just don't quite understand the horror going audience right now it doesn't make any sense to me here's here's the perfect example of why it doesn't make any sense to me is that the evil dead everyone loves this fucking movie i i don't see it. I don't understand it. I don't understand the need for it. I like shitty, fun movies as much as the next guy. I mean, holy crap, I was involved for three and a half, four years of my life in a movie called Swamphead. And that, you know, when you look at it, is probably the dumbest movie ever made. I just can't stand this remake train. And it's, it's great to see original horror films being made especially ones that are getting put out there to the public. So I, I gotta I, I, I support this. I support the Lords of Salem and I'm hoping honestly that Rob Zombie stays within the low budget. Well I know one million dollars you and I, no budget filmmakers. that's a lot of fucking money. <laughs> that's a lot of money. I could get. I, I bet you I could get my my fanboy wet dream of getting John Saxon on a film uh, if I had a million-dollar budget. Um, but uh, for him, I hope he stays within this range because I think this is this, it forced him to, to concentrate on story and not concentrate on, on other bullshit. Um, and it also – there was no pressure for him to have to make something that was so commercially viable – uh, that there had to be compromises to it. Um, this movie's weird. It's out there. It's uh, not going to be everyone's cup of tea. But I recommend anybody that is into slower burn films and films that just are, are sinister and kind of build um, and don't have to hold your hand in any way, shape, or form. By the end of it, you're going to be like, you're going to be thinking about it. You're going to be thinking about it for a while after. And to me, those are very satisfying films. Those are films that make me want to go watch them again. Not films like the remake of The Evil Dead, that where everything is plain as day. Your hand's been held the entire fucking movie for you. Bring on more movies like Lords of Salem. We need that. <laughs>
if this would look nice in the mantelpiece. Oh, but it belongs to the professor. Well, he did find it on our property, darling. After all, scientists should be a bum. Mama. Yes, darling, what is it? Mother, this cloth smells of death. Welcome all my movie maniacs out there. This is Mark the Movie Man, and it is the Movie Man's Manic Movie Mayhem. And tonight we are going to take a look at House of a Thousand Corpses. Yes, House of a Thousand Corpses. It's Rob Zombie's first feature film, which he directed and wrote. And uh, we get basically the story of four teenagers who are traveling across country, documenting odd and weird locations that you would come across while uh, traveling across the U.S. And they find a place called Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Madmen. And it's just too good of a place to pass up. Well, when they come across Captain Spaulding, he gives them the tour and tells them about legends of famous serial killers, including a local one about a Dr. Satan. Well, the story is too good to pass up, and as the kids go to investigate this local legend further, they come across a backwoods family of serial killers who kidnap them and do mean and nasty things to them. Ah, oh, Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses is one that I think is not well received by the general movie viewing public, and it isn't, because this is not a commercial piece by any means, folks. This is his first film, and you can tell it's probably his... Uh, most uh, passionate film, I will say, because you can tell this is just a labor of love for him. There are so many horror references within this film. It's just, it, you, you lose track after a while from the way he directed some of the scenes to just some of the things in the background to the characters themselves. Now, he gets a great cast in here, a mixture of new and old. Karen Black does great as Mother Firefly. Uh, you know, she just... It, engrossed in this role just like everyone else in this film they just take these characters and run with them so well uh you know and then you've got sid hag in here as captain spaulding he is the most grotesque yet charismatic character you're gonna run across i you can't help but love captain spaulding and at the same time go oh dear god you, you know, Sid Haig plays him well, and you can tell it was definitely a role that Rob Zombie, I think, wrote with him in mind, considering how a uh, veteran an actor Sid Haig is, especially with horror films. Another role that I think he wrote specifically for was Bill Mosley's Otis. Uh, you know, Bill Mosley is no stranger to horror by any means, and he's fantastic and, and whenever he's on screen. And he just eats up the scene as kind of the leader of the Firefly family, though, uh, you know, the, the most intelligent one out of the group, if you will. And also part of the group is Sherry Moon Zombie. This was her first film, and she does well as Baby. Uh, I loved her character, the idea of this very attractive woman who is also just batshit crazy. Uh, definitely is a great mixture uh, and an interesting character and one we hadn't seen too much before in other films. Now, she, you can tell she is a little green in the acting realm, but she's surrounded by some fantastic veteran actors, so it does help carry some of the scenes where she is a little weak. But when she does get on her own, it's not bad, and her performance is great as Baby. Now, all these characters do well, and they know what kind of movie they're in, and the movie they're in is just sick and twisted by... Uh, uh, 
leaps and bounds, folks. Uh, you know, the first chunk of this is kind of your standard kind of cheesy, uh, almost like a horror comedy of sorts while you're dealing with the Captain Spaulding character. And then it just takes this really weird, bizarre twist and things get really sadistic and gory. Uh, oh, I love the gore in this is fantastic, folks. Uh, love the practical effects. He went all practical in it. Now, this film is from 2002 uh, or 2003, and uh, definitely I love the practical horror effects, horror effects in here. And you can tell he was definitely going for that authentic 70s horror feel, and that's why he went that route. And I'm glad he did because it just added that extra level of creepiness. I, I don't think I've seen also a collection or a group of creepy characters out of a modern horror film that we've seen come out of House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh, these characters are just wild and, and definitely have uh, hints and influences from uh, famous crazy backwaters families from the past, but they also have their own bit of originality to them. And I think that's what really helps define them and sets them apart. And just in general, just, you know, you've seen a lot of old films recently, uh, but this was back uh, when they weren't quite making too many of them. And you can tell, Rob didn't make this film to really make money. He made this film because he loved horror and he wanted to do a horror film. And that really comes across the screen. Also, I, I gotta admit, there is a uh, Alice in Wonderland metaphor in here with one of the characters with the way she's dressed and the, the direction the film takes. You can't... If you watch it, you'll, you'll know. There is definitely some uh, Alice in Wonderland metaphor going on there and some parallelisms with uh, traveling down the rabbit hole. Uh, in this case, though, it's if the rabbit hole was Rob Zombie, Clive Barker, and Stephen King getting together and they have a, a bastard child uh, <laughs> who drinks the potion. You know, so, I mean, it's definitely just dark, twisted, gory. Uh, directed, non-traditional style. It's definitely not for your general viewing audience or even your general horror audience. It's definitely made for fans of Rob Zombies, fans of the extreme 70s horror films, uh, you know, or just those who really like a different, non-traditional type of horror film. You uh, definitely get that with House of a Thousand Corpses. And that'll do it for us here. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking to you again. Nobody was right except him. I'm a man. You're a piece of shit. I'm a human being. You are not. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> I've been there. You have not. Sexy, sexy night. She is the lady of the sexy night. Sexy, sexy night. She is the lady of the sexy night. Sexy night, she is the lady of the sexy night.
with illustrious actor, writer, director, Greg Johnson, about Rob Zombie's Lords of Salem and Devil's Rejects. First Lords of Salem. Love it. Love it. I mean, it, you know, people have come off saying that the ripoff of Rosemary's Baby, that it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, ripoff of uh, the Devil movies of the 70s. And then, you know, the fact remains is that you want to go so far to say that, you know, all the outdoor scenes look like it's a ripoff from The Exorcist. But at least it is something that Zombie did that was different. Out of all the things that they can say, oh, he stole that, he stole that, he stole that, it was still different. Then, then to see it play on a multiplex, that's beautiful. Right? Let him, you know, let... But there'd be uh, eight or nine carbon copies of Lords of Salem and uh, many, many less remakes of Evil Dead, and I'll be a very happy man. <laughs> no, no the, the funny thing about this is, is while I, I, I don't believe that he ripped anything off, because honestly, the movie to me felt more like a, a movie that I really enjoyed from the early 80s called The Sentinel. Postscript. The Sentinel was actually made in 1977. Oh, have you seen The Sentinel at all? I have, I have not, nope. Oh, you got to check it out. You'll love it. It's, it's kind of the same Rosemary's Baby story with a, a couple in a in an apartment building and, you know, there's satanic things going on and blah, blah, blah. But um, I don't think that he rapes and pillages his source material the way, say, I just watched uh, Django Unchained that Tarantino does. And Tarantino is celebrated as some visionary when he he absolutely just rips entire scenes and dialogue and titles of films off 
and nobody says a whole uh, a fucking cotton-picking thing about it. Because they have already. I mean, the the, the old argument about Tarantino being the you know, rip-off artist has been said and said and said. I think people are tired of that. Mm. Um, the, you know, it, it's the old saying that the um, highest compliment or highest flattery is impersonation. Right. And I think that's true. And I think that's true of what uh, Tarantino does. Mm. I definitely think it's true of what Zombie did with Lords of Salem. But the thing is, Lords of Salem, there's so much heart, again, in that movie. I mean, you know, or, or lack of. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think it's a pretty singular piece, to be honest. I, well, I see where, where its roots lie. I think where it goes pure Phantasmagoria, where it's just weirdness and, and uh, Grand Guignol, it's just like complete uh, gothic, demonic, just fantasy. Yeah, but it makes sense. I mean, it feels, to me, it feels like a Lynch picture. Mm-hmm. And I that, you know, two minutes after I got out of the theater, I made a post about it, saying that it reminded me so much of David Lynch. Um, and I, I think maybe that was influenced because I had seen Eraserhead recently. Mm-hmm. But it, it was that type of feel to it. And as I say, I mean, you know, people can make comparisons to Rosemary's Baby and whatever. It, it has also been rumored that it's his farewell for a picture. Well, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but but that's the rumor, at least that I have heard recently. Well, um, he also he also said he wasn't going to make a sequel to Halloween. Yeah. Well, he should have. <laughs> he should have is right. <laughs> I mean, you know, if if we're going to go into top, but well, now he's done five films. Uh, for me, it's Lords of Salem, or I'm sorry, Devil's Rejects and Lords of Salem, House of a Thousand, uh, Halloween 1, and then Halloween 2 is at the bottom of the list. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm pretty close with you. I, I, I wouldn't deny that list. I think that's pretty close to my feelings, too. You know, I think I would swap uh, House of a Thousand versus Devil's Rejects. Uh, and, and I mean, that's just, you know, tit for tat. Really, yeah. because as much as I complain about the ending, and, and I say how much I I don't, you know, overall like Devil's Reach, it's a good movie. You are a tremendously huge fan of the Devil's Rejects, and feel that uh, it has a, a really, really well done and perfect ending to it. And uh, I, I I tend I tend to disagree because um, there's just something about it that that doesn't settle well with me, and it feels like it's the wrong ending for the film. Uh, do you want to kind of uh, state your your feelings and uh, what you think Rob Zombie was doing with the end of Devil's Rejects and the good old boy shoot him out? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, I think personally that either way Rob wins. Um, for the people who you know, deem that cast as anti-heroes, they're going to be satisfied. And, uh, for the folks who see them as monsters, you know, they're going to be uh, 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 revolted by it, or find it revolting, rather. Um, so I think he wins either way. It also doesn't help that they use uh, one of the one of the great good old boy songs of the last 
uh, what, 30 years? <clears throat> I, I don't know if anything, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I don't know, uh, it, it is a huge, huge, big song, good old Freebird. It definitely gives you a feeling. I mean, it's it's there because I think Skinner, this all kind of, this all-American band that, that kind of gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling, like, you know, these are these are kin, like, these are people that you're supposed to, like, bring in and that you're supposed to feel empathy towards because they're you and me. You were, that's right. That's right. And I think it's the ultimate hat trick. I think he pulled off something that uh, most directors can only dream about. You know, he, he gave a lot to folks who were in love with the, the two pictures, and he probably pissed off the people who uh, wanted to dislike the characters all the way, and uh, they didn't get that satisfaction. <laughs> so so basically, basically, I think that, you know, um, I, I think that your opinion played right into his hands. Yeah, I, I tend to, after, you know, you and I had this conversation a while back, I tend to agree with you, but I don't, I don't agree tonally that I think that it works. I, I do agree with, like, from an intellectual standpoint that, uh, that it works in that capacity. It, it, it definitely does. Do you think maybe it, this is all just my, my whole feeling on this is just all tied to, uh, the song? That if the song wasn't there, maybe it would it would be something completely different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a big part of it. If they would have chose something different that wasn't you know all American, good old boy, you know, um, whatever you want to call it, yeah, I think the feeling would have been totally different. The ending in and of itself, the contents of it, it, it rings true, and I think I do think it's it's purely an aesthetic thing that that the, the the relationship between this song and the action on the screen kind of has this big Hollywood uh, feel, well not feel good, but kind of like sympathy ending to it as opposed to it, if you were if you were to try and do something where it, it was much more downbeat and these people yeah. are just getting destroyed and they're going out in their own terms I think maybe yeah, I would have I would have felt a little differently. But uh that I remember when I went and saw that just walking out of that theater going, Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> well yeah, I mean it's it's you know, in uh in context with the whole piece it is a bit dishonest. But at the same time, um I think maybe uh zombie got to the end of it and said, well, this is, this is my feelings right now at this time. Okay. You watch the documentary, it's called 30 Days in Hell. And it's about making the film on, on 30 Days, I believe. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I truly think that uh, maybe he had something different in his mind, but I think it was, it was his way of giving the middle finger and doing a number of different directions. <laughs> it seems like a lot of, like, his entire career has been one big middle finger. And that's a beautiful thing. I can expect that.
episode one complete. So that, my friends, is episode one of the newly revamped Astro Radio Z. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy kind of the direction we're going with it. It's a work in progress. Um, please get back to me if you, there were things you liked or things you didn't like about it. Uh, go to our Facebook page, uh, Astro Radio Z, and uh, let me know. Uh, write on it. Make me believe there are actually people out there that listen to this. So until next time, I'm going to end this episode with an extended interview clip with Greg Johnson that I did. And it just kind of is talking about who Greg is and what he does. I hope you guys dig it and see you next time. Well, yeah, you know, there's a couple of things going on. Um, I, I just finished about two weeks ago, I finished doing the voiceover piece for Main Street Meet with the director, writer-director by the name of Jeff Lyon. Um, uh, they're looking at releasing a film called Spade County Massacre, which I have a bit part in, and that was written and directed by Dean Chapman. Um, I'm about to start up a film, short film called The Night They Hit Path, written and directed by Jason Thornson. And I'm in the process of starting filming on Hole in the Wall. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I've been active in the theater scene around here for a while. Recently, I kind of switched over to films for the last five years or so. Uh, I did films, four films with Corey J. Adler, whom we should uh, worship. He's, he's 100% brilliant, and I'd work with him again at the top of the hat. Um, and then that's, that's really what I gotta say about Corey. I uh, also, you know, back, boy, back three years ago, Corey and I started a group called Madison Underground. Um, and that was basically a venue for people to show up and show their independent films. Uh, I at the time was also directing production of Macbeth. So I had to kind of let go, but that idea of Madison Underground has carried on over the three years, um, and it still resides at Broom Street Theater. Um, whereas, like, on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, I started up a side project called Vice, and Vice is going to be showing local independent artists films, full feature length. Um, right now, the screen time is at 11 a.m., just for something different. And we had our first screen of Incest Death Squad. And we have a screen tomorrow, uh, five bucks to get in, of Incest Death Squad. In October, I'm staging a piece called Poe. Um, it'll be a late night show. And basically what that is, is it's just going to be a collection of Edgar Allan Poe pieces at midnight um, and that should be some sickening fun for everyone <laughs> you know and then uh, I'm working on a piece for found spaces which is basically theater where you least expect it and uh, that's actually what I'm heading into rehearsal for very soon awesome now now how can people uh, sit and keep track of all this stuff? Uh, where can they find Broom Street Theater? They're an online presence, and where can they keep in touch with uh, Mr. Greg Johnson? But probably the easiest way to do it is on Facebook. 
you know, if, if people um, got questions or anything else, just message me. You know, and definitely, definitely answer and keep up on that. Um, Bruce Street Theater has its own page. And another thing to note to the listeners is that Stuart Gordon was actually founder of Broom Street Theater. Um, he was here back in the 60s, late 60s, mid to late 60s. He started a company called Screw Theater. And his gimmick, or what he liked to do, was get people in the audience and then lock the doors behind them, turn the heat up, and have the most detestable, you know... <laughs> It was like the gong show, only with locked doors and absolutely nowhere. Um, but he ended up, he actually ended up going to jail for the production of Peter Pan that he did. And it was right after the Chicago riot. And uh, then Captain Hook was the um, police commissioner. And then the, the Lost Boys were the, the rebels, or the, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a little bit about Broom Street. And then Joel, uh, Gershman took over. And now it's helmed by Heather Rankin. So, alright, uh, Kellen Hardy was in there also as artistic director. <laughs> well, I miss Heather Rankin is also another, uh, co-conspirator with, uh, the illustrious Mr. Corey J. Hudler. Absolutely. Absolutely. She came in and she did Mediatrix. Um, and then she turned around and was in uh, IDS Rising. You two had a very sensual scene in IDS Rising. Yes, we did. We shared a moment. <laughs> oh, no. It brought a tear to my eye. Right, 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 right. And it, like a, it, it looked like a damn butter churn or something. I'm not sure exactly <laughs> what that crank thing was, but right. I just remember... Uh, thinking it, and if you see the movie, you know what I'm talking about, um, and the sound that was coming out was just hysterical. I mean, it's difficult to keep straight on that thing. What did I, uh, I, I know I've, I've heard in the past from other actors, um, namely uh, the documentary we did screening in High Seals, uh, Jay Richardson talks about... Uh, Many of the, the the sex scenes that he was involved in, and the, and the things that uh, he had to do mentally prepare, and how it actually wasn't very sexy, and you know, there's no way possible you'd ever uh, sport a wood doing any of this. What? How would you describe have, uh, going through a sex scene in a film? No damn thing sexy about it. <laughs> <laughs> Not a damn thing sexy about doing it on stage either. Yeah. Not at all. Because, number one, you know, um, thankfully, you know, all the people that I've been paid up with to do these things are awesome people. So that's, that's been taken care of the great people. Cool. Right. Then, secondly, you know, even if, um, even if they say closed set, that still really means that there's going to be about four feet of five people running around. Right. Right, absolutely. So there's still four or five people there, and they're watching this take place. So, no, there's, you know, there's nothing sexy about it. In the case of doing a sex scene in theater, you might have, you know, 50, 75, 100 watching you. So it, there's nothing, um, 
it's it's just part of the part of the uh, part of the show, right? But you, I mean, you don't uh, sex yourself up for it or anything. <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not getting fluffers to get you already off stage. No, 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 no. <laughs> <Bad luck. laughs> uh, so wait, what's my job? Well. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you have been listening to Fear Gas Network. Check for updates on FearGas.net. <laughs>